Well, good morning. Welcome to those who are joining us in the Fellowship Hall and online today. As we continue through the Gospel of Mark today in chapter 10, we see two different situations where Jesus is approached with requests. And in both, Jesus asks the same question, what do you want me to do for you? And I find this question fascinating, both because of what Jesus is asking and because of what he isn't. Jesus isn't asking, what is it you need? He isn't asking, tell me the issue that you're dealing with so I can assess what might be the best way for me to approach it on your behalf. He's not asking, do you have a question that you need an answer for? What Jesus asks feels very different than any of those. It's far more open-ended. In fact, the connotation of the word used here, often translated want, can also be translated wish. Jesus' question is deeper. It's both personal and relational. What do you want me to do for you? I think every part of that question is important because each part leads us to consider what we are relationally asking specifically of Jesus and what that says about what we believe about who Jesus is. Now, you might find it strange, but the very first thing these scriptures brought to mind for me this week was one of the last Netflix rom-coms that I watched because there was a line in it that I just couldn't get out of my head where one of the characters asked the main character, what do you want? And she answered, I guess I don't really know. To which he responded, if you don't know what you want, how can you ask for it? Something about that really stuck with me long after the movie was over, after the plot was resolved and wrapped up in a neat happily ever after bow that I love about rom-coms. If you don't know what you want, how can you ask for it? I think the reason that that stuck with me was because it occurred to me how much of modern life tends to be reactionary. Not so much about what we want, but about constantly pivoting to avoid what we don't want. Most of life's choices day by day are about doing the best you can with whatever gets thrown at you, right? We live in the moment, whether enjoying what is good or reacting to what isn't. Most of life is reactionary, so we look for help to fix what needs fixing, or we look for a reroute when the path we were on seems to be less than ideal. But what if someone were to ask you, not what do you need or what issues are you dealing with right now that you could use some help with, but what do you want? Would you know how to answer? What if Jesus were to ask you today, what do you want me to do for you? Because that's the question Jesus asks. And why do you think he asks it? What does he want to know? And by asking it, what does he want you to know? If you don't know what you want, how can you ask for it? And in these stories, Jesus shows us he wants us to ask, to bring him honestly what's on our hearts, knowing that we can trust him with it. 
And we know that because in the first situation where Jesus asks this question today, when he really gets into the guts of what's being requested by those who are asking, his loving answer to them is no. Because he hears what they want. And what they're asking for is not actually going to get them what they want. But by hearing what they want, Jesus is able to redirect them to a greater future than the one they think they want. Now, I'm sure that doesn't make it sound any less disappointing at the time, but this honest conversation allows Jesus to go deeper with them. And the truth is, in a relationship of trust, honesty, when you really hear each other, grows relationships, even when that conversation is hard. So let's take a look at this story. If you'd like to follow along, the first story is in Mark 10, 35. And if you remember, of his 12 disciples, there were three, Peter, James, and John, who Jesus tended to bring with him most often, because you can't always take 12 people with you in a room. So these are the three who got the more intensive investment of Jesus' time and teaching. And of the three, James and John were brothers. And eventually, when it occurred to them that even among the three, the prime seats were limited, in Mark 10, 35, then James and John, the son of Zebedee, came to him, teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. (laughs) Promise you'll do what we want before we tell you what it is. (laughs) Has that ever worked? (laughs) Well, Jesus doesn't fall for it either. In verse 36, he says, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. I mean, we already know we're in the top three, but only two get to be next to you. So we just want to go on record saying, we want those spots. Dibs, ha ha, Peter. (laughs) Now, up until now, you can imagine the kind of trajectory that James and John think that they're on. They've seen Jesus' miracles. They know he's the Messiah. They see nothing but glory ahead. So they're asking, Jesus, make it official. Name us as your number one and your number two. Little knowing that if he did, that would just make them the first and second most wanted in the posters in the post office. So Jesus very patiently, gently seeks to redefine the picture for them in Mark 10, 38. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Now, James and John are clearly brave, but they don't know what they're asking. And Jesus heard in their request what they wanted. And what they wanted was glory and honor and to be considered the most important, the best, the greatest, which is why all the other disciples were furious when they heard about this conversation. But since Jesus heard what they wanted, he was able now to make this a teachable moment about what glory actually looks like in his kingdom. In Mark 10, 42, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life 
as a ransom for many. You see, James and John wanted glory now, but they didn't yet understand what glory was. Because the moment Jesus brings the greatest glory to God is the moment he chooses not to act in power to save himself, but empties himself of all of his rights and his power as the Son of God in order to take the sin and death of an undeserving world onto himself on the cross. That is the moment of the glorious victory of the power of the love of God over the power of self-serving sin with Jesus offering himself as the full payment of the wages of sin and death for us. And at the moment of his greatest glory, who would be at his right and his left? Two criminals dying on crosses. These are certainly not the places at his right and his left in his glory that James and John were imagining. But as Jesus indicated, they also would know their own version of that. James would be the first of the disciples martyred in Acts 12 2, killed by Herod by the sword. Peter would live to middle age to be crucified in Rome. And John would live well into old age, exiled in Patmos, writing a gospel, some letters, and revelations. So James and John would not be sitting in seats of glory in the throne room of an earthly kingdom where Jesus ruled. But because Jesus opened the way into his victory for them and for us, one day in his kingdom, we will see them in his glory. So what can we learn from this? In this story, Jesus shows us he wants us to bring him what's honestly on our hearts because whether his answer will be yes or no, he wants the opportunity to get at the heart of what you want so he can lead you into your own teachable moment about his heart for you. I think it's really important that we realize that this question is relational. What do you want me to do for you? Because so many times our faith gets derailed because we confuse trusting God with trusting that God will do a certain thing that we ask for. And sometimes that confuses us about how we're supposed to pray. For instance, maybe you're praying that God will heal someone who's dying because you really want them to live. But you wonder if maybe you should be praying for peace or something else instead, if living longer would not actually be what's best for them. Or maybe you're praying to get a certain job that maybe isn't going to be the best fit for you, but you really want to get it just so you can stop looking. But you wonder, should you really be praying to get it? Because what if that isn't the job that God has for you? Life is full of those kind of scenarios. You don't know how to pray because you really don't want to pray boldly and ask for something and not get it. Because you don't know what that would do to your faith to your trust in God. You don't know how you'd respond if the Lord's answer was no. But this also gets us to the heart of the issue. Authors Cloud and Townsend wrote a famous book years ago called Boundaries. And it's all about the important role of the word no in real, authentic relationships. They pointed out in any relationship, if you're afraid that love or affection will not survive you telling the other person no, or you hearing the word no from them, 
What you have is not an actual relationship of love, but rather of self-love. A relationship that no longer loves when they hear no points to a person who, not, who only sees the other person as a means to an end for themselves. Real love respects a no. And in fact, it invites the honest learning of the other that comes from it. So when we ask ourselves, should we ask God for what we want, or should we just pray for God to do what he wants and leave what we want completely out of it, it might not surprise you to hear the Lord doesn't want us to leave what we want out of it. He wants to hear it, and he wants us all in it, because only then can we truly trust him with all of it, because we know that he's heard all of it, even if his answer is no. So what does it look like to pray for what you want in faith while still also trusting if you don't get what you want that God does deeply care to hear what you want and will be at work in your life? Well, thankfully, we have the best possible example of this. Jesus himself modeled this for us in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed, Lord, if it is possible, take this cup from me. What I want is not to have to suffer this. But if this cup will not pass unless I drink it, if the only way forward is through, your will be done. Because I want what you want. Now, if Jesus would dare to ask God for what he wanted, to not have to suffer through the horrors of crucifixion, boldly declaring that is what he wants, even while knowing he probably would not be spared that path. If Jesus could honestly pray that, ask that faithfully without sin, you can too, right? Prayer is all about honesty, about bringing your whole heart to God. And the thing is, you don't have to figure out God's will before you pray. That's his job. He just wants you to bring him the honest you. You're always right to bring him what's on your heart because you can trust him to say no to what needs a no and yes to what needs a yes. You can trust him to receive your prayers, your requests, your questions, your cries, your praises honestly. And you can trust him, as a good parent does, to do what will best help you become the person you were created to be in relationship with him, even when his answer is no. So having received that answer and that teachable moment, the disciples walk with Jesus into the next situation where a few verses later we hear the same question again in Mark 10, 46. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with the large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you immediately received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now, Bartimaeus is bold. 
He knows this is his one shot, but the voices he's hearing all around him are actively trying to stop him, trying to tell him he isn't worthy to speak to Jesus, that Jesus doesn't want to hear anything from him. He's wasting his energy trying to get the attention of one so holy because his voice, his dream, his hope doesn't matter. Nobody's going to care what he wants. Have you ever heard those kind of voices? Have you ever let them shout down your prayers, kept you silent? Well, Bartimaeus doesn't. (laughs) He ignores every one of those voices and he cries out with all he's got to the Lord, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And amid the roar of all the voices of the crowd, Jesus hears him and he tells his disciples, call him. They don't even have to ask who, they all know. So they call him. And in verse 50, it tells us he threw his cloak aside and he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. Now, if you know anything about people who are blind, you know out of necessity they're very careful where they put their things. When you can't see, you don't throw things around randomly. You place them where you know you'll be able to find them again when you need them. And this man is a beggar, so you can imagine he probably doesn't have more than one cloak. But when Jesus calls him, he throws that thing away with a kind of frivolous abandon that only the sighted are privileged to know. He's trusting Jesus with everything he's got. And when Jesus asks him the question, what do you want me to do for you? Boldly and courageously, he speaks the truth. I want to see. Now you might think, did Jesus really need to ask him that? I mean, isn't it obvious? But Jesus doesn't assume anything. He waits for this man to tell him where he wants God to intervene in his life. Do you hear the respect in that question? The love. Do you hear how Jesus waits for an invitation into our brokenness? It takes both faith and courage for Bartimaeus to dare to honestly answer, I want to see It's hard to admit that kind of hope, especially because it seems so unlikely. It will clearly take a miracle. It takes courage to trust the Lord with your boldest wants, to honestly answer Jesus' question, what do you want me to do for you? Because we know the pain of a no or the not yet, and yet here the answer is yes. What Bartimaeus asks, he receives. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So what is Jesus teaching us in these two stories back to back, the stories of his yes and his no? They teach us that he always invites us to boldly bring our wants to him no matter what. They teach us that his heart is for our good. And we can trust him for that even when we don't receive the answer we hope for. He invites us to dare to trust him with what we want. To dare invite his power into our broken places. And he encourages us not to let the voices around us discourage us from asking for God's power to be at work in us. He reminds us that when we speak to him, he will hear us, no matter how loud those other voices sound in our ears. It can be hard for us to trust him when we don't understand the no or the not yet of prayers not answered the way we hope 
But when Jesus teaches his disciples what his glory looks like, he is teaching us that he is trustworthy. Because he is the one who will choose us and our good even over his own to the point of the cross. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we can trust whether his answer to our prayer is a yes or a no, that there is nothing he will withhold, nothing he won't lay down in order to give us what is truly at the center of what we want. The truth is, not all things will be healed in this life, but because of Jesus, there will be a day when all broken things will be made new. And Jesus chose to surrender all he had to give us the gift of an eternal healing, an eternal life that nothing can ever take away from us ever again. And it's a gift for all who will receive it with our own grateful yes. Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you and what more could he do than to lay down his life to choose to walk the path of suffering humiliation and death a path he did not want to walk for what he wanted more which was for you to have life with him now and forever and if you can trust him to love you that much beloved don't you think he loves you enough to hear your heart and walk with you and what you bring to him today. So ask. This month of February, we've set aside to lift up prayers for healing. So today, if you'd like to stay in your seat after worship is over, prayer ministers will come to you to offer prayer with you and to pray with you or to anoint you with oil for healing if you'd like. Or if you prefer, you can go to the prayer chapel just down the hallway from the front desk and meet with the prayer ministers there. And ask, respond to Jesus' question, what do you want me to do for you? Invite him in, trusting whether his answer is yes or no. He wants you to know that he hears you. And he wants you to know that his heart for you is good. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, so many times we let the voices of the world keep us from bringing our hearts to you. Our real hurts, our real anger, our real fears, our real hopes. But Lord, you already know them all. So give us the courage, Jesus, to trust you, knowing that we can be sure of what we hope for in your love for us. Teach us what it means to live under the shadow of the selfless love of your cross as we pour out our hopes and our dreams and our praises to you. And as we trust your relationship with us, help us to grow in our relationship with you. Teach us to put our faith not in the what of our prayers, but in the faithfulness of the one who hears them. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen.